can kick your fancy ales, you can drink them by the flagon, but the only food for the brave and true comes from the green dragon. The vanguard of Dane's army. These chariots run ahead of the dwarves of the Iron Hills, taking out enemy scouts who dare to oppose them. Pulled by six goats at a time, and with razor-sharp sights attached to its wheels, any orc that is unfortunate enough to get in the way of a charging chariot will end up considerably shorter. Also equipped with a rapid-fire bolt thrower, these chariots are the Iron Hills' ultimate weapons of war. Welcome to the Green Dragons Know Thine Enemy Iron Hills Chariot with Jeremy and Jeremy only. It is good to be back at the Green Dragon desk. It's been a while. I say that quite often now. I feel like it's an every episode type thing. But this time, there was just life got in the way and got in the way and got in the way. So I had a trip overseas, which was fantastic. I went to, to Europe, mainly in Hungary and Austria, which is fantastic. I hopefully go again and maybe get some gaming this time instead of just going for a wedding. But that was good fun. Then I came back and managed to get sick. Uh, got caught off my kids. So I was out with no voice for a while. And then we approach reporting time for school. So I've been up very late of, of recently just doing reports and all that boring stuff. Uh, in the meantime, I managed to, to get a lot of dwarves painted. I had a an event, not a tournament, an event called the Silmarilli run by Josh, which was fantastic. And I got to take my Iron Hills army and my Iron Hills chariot. So I feel like I could talk about the Iron Hills chariot now. I couldn't before. I've now played probably about 11 or 12 games with it. Some of them scenarios, about half of them scenarios, about half of them in the actual game, and I've watched quite a few games of the scenarios as well, where I was uh, on the sideline cheering it on. So I could talk about this now. It's by no means complete. I'm not that experienced with this model. It's a very odd model, and it's one that I feel like we'll get some clarifications on, and I feel like out of any episode that we've ever done, this one is one where I'm likely to be wrong at times, and I'll explain why as we go on. So this is your normal Know Thine Enemy, so we're focusing on the rules for the Iron Hills Chariot, uh, we'll talk about some tactics for both sides, so tactics for, for doing well with it, for tactics for beating it, which may or may not be easier, who knows, and then I'll talk about some other stuff, some of my experience with it, and uh, yeah, a bit about the model itself, actually, because I'm sure some people are curious about the model, so I'll talk about my experiences with the model as well. I know that there's probably people doing unboxing videos, maybe the Spilfending and the Fellowship has done one, but I will make sure that uh, I talk about my experiences and my personal ones, and of course, you're welcome to disagree or agree with me as normal. So let's get into it. The Iron Hills Chariot is from the There and Back Again book. It's quite an imposing model. It's a really big model. It has a lot of rules as well, big imposing rules, two pages of rules in the book, and then another page of FAQ questions. So it's going to have a bit of complexity, and I'll try and go through it as much as I can. We have two profiles. For 175 points, we've got the Iron Hills crew. So they are just standard dwarves, uh, defense 6, the fight 6, strength 4, move 5, which doesn't come into account at all. One attack, one wound, and courage 4, which doesn't come into being at all. So just a standard dwarf profile. Then you have the chariot itself, which has a basically a big dwarf profile, quite frankly. It's a move 8, which is reflecting the goats. Fight 4, reflecting the dwarves. Strength 4, probably reflecting the dwarves or the scythes. Defense 8, which looks pretty good until you realize the weaknesses in that. Two attacks, which looks pretty bad until you realize what's going on with it. And then five wounds, that's pretty nice. And Courage 3, which is also irrelevant, so we'll see later on. So you've got this weird combined profile for 
it's a, a cavalry model essentially, but it doesn't actually list it as a cavalry model. So it's it's a totally different, unique model in itself. Uh, the war gear is heavy armor and sword. So you've got a sword, so I guess technically you could faint with the chariot. It will lower the whole chariot's fight by D6 because it counts as one model a bit later. So you could definitely do that if you're lower on fight. Um, I've never actually done that. I think it looks seems a bit weird. I can imagine um, trying to fight the whole chariot. Just will dodge one way and then attack the other way. Uh, I'm not so sure about that. We have options as well. The Iron Hills Captain to replace the driver for 80 points, which is fairly hefty price. And then also the Champions of Erebor, which replaces the crew for an even more hefty 325 points. Just in case you've got a spare 325 points to throw in there, you can replace them with the Champions of Erebor. Oh, we're flying through this. This episode could be very short if I get through all the special... Oh, no. There's a lot of special rules. First of all, we've got Dwarven Crew. Four Dwarf Crew. If the crew members are slain, other dwarves can take their place. So they can just move into base contact with the chariot. It doesn't stipulate when either the start or the end of the chariot's move. And they immediately drop their spear, shield, matic, or crossbow and become a member of the crew. So you can fill up your crew. If you lose some crew, you can become a member of the crew. If the driver's killed, another dwarf on the chariot immediately takes their place. If the chariot loses all its crew, it's removed as a casualty. So you've got to, you've got to fill it up sometimes. So if I, I find if you lose a few crew... You've got to go get some spearmen or somebody to jump on and help out. Now, I, it doesn't say anything about it stopping the moving. So if you jump on and then the chariot's about to move, that's not a problem. The chariot will keep moving. We then have the rapid-fire bolt thrower. So we've got this bolt thrower that's capable of firing multiple shots. It's basically a dwarf crossbow that can fire D6 shots. So that's, that should be pretty simple. But it's got a limited field of fire. 45 degrees to its left or right. So if you take a corner of a book, a right angle, you put it over the, the middle of the, the crossbow, over the crossbow, it says in the FAQ, that, that's your, what you can fire at. Field of fire, it's pretty decent, but it means you can't flick a shot around the back. You can still fire if you move your full distance, so it basically counts as a stationary platform, and you don't get the one minus penalty. So that, that's very good, actually. A mobile crossbow is very useful. In the, the scenarios we played, it was of no use whatsoever, couldn't kill a thing, and in the, the, the event I played, it was amazing. So... It can be really good. D6 shots can be good, yes. It can shoot even if engaged in combat and does not need an in-the-way test for models engaged with it. So models that engage with the chariot do not need an in-the-way test. You can shoot through them. If it does this, then the dwarf operating the bolt thrower cannot add its attacks or fight to the dual roll and may not make strikes in the following combat phase. So you basically give up your chance to fight with that dwarf to fire the crossbow, which seems reasonable. Now, this is our first point of contention. It says you ignore the in the ways. It doesn't actually say you, you ignore the rules for targeting. So in the actual rule book, it says that good may not shoot into combat and evil can. So we're going to assume that it doesn't overrule that and that you, have to, you can't shoot at models in contact with the chariot. It basically means in our games, we fired over the top of that first model if we wanted to and something behind it. So pretty much ignoring the model, pretending it doesn't exist, uh, which is quite abstract, but that's okay as well. Part of me thinks that Maybe it was designed to, to attack models attacking the chariot. Because, like, it makes sense that if someone jumps up about to strike it, you throw a crossbow bolt above the goats and that the target makes sure it doesn't hit the own goats. But it might not be as well. I, I can't read the mind of the designers. And that might have changed at the time of writing anyway. We move on to the chariot charge rules. So this is another, another column. Pretty detailed rules, but still something missing the Iron Hills Chariot charged forward with deadly yet unwieldy force. Okay, so that's a bit of a bit of description of it. It's an unusual model that moves in the following way. Okay, it definitely is an unusual model. I agree with that. At the start of the move phase, the controlling player may pivot 
the chariot up to 45 degrees. The controlling player may pivot the chariot up to that. So the person who's controlling the chariot. It doesn't say the, the model that owns the chariot. When pivoting, the chariot may touch models or terrain. In the case of models, move them out of the way by the shortest route possible. In the case of terrain, move the chariot away just enough to complete its pivot. So you can fudge the pivot a little bit. And I guess that comes down to not being ridiculous about it. Like you try and move over the middle. If you if you buddy up against terrain, yes, you can get around it. So there's a bit of flexibility there and, and both players have to understand that, I guess. Then you can move the chariot up to four inches in a straight line. So from zero to four inches in a straight line. Now we assume that's a straight line going forward, but yeah, it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't even say that. But we assume that that's that's from the, the the center going through. I don't think anyone's argued that one. If it has moved a full four inches, it may pivot a further forty five degrees. The chariot may then move a further four inches in a straight line. So say, same thing, the straight line there, the clear defining that you make a line from the the center at the back to the center of the front, and then continue that line on and push it four inches along that. That's fine. If any model that the chariot comes into base contact with when moving, not when pivoting, immediately suffers three strength six hits. So pretty decent. Not not as powerful as a Mumak, especially a Tux Mumak, but a good one. If the model is slain, then the chariot may continue with its movement. Cavalry models suffer three hits on both the rider and the mount, which is really nice. If the rider survives but the mount is slain, the rider is thrown, and after testing on the thrown rider chart, is placed in contact with the chariot. Happens a lot, actually. Might n- may not be used to affect the results of these hits. Okay, that's very clear as well. The might cannot be used to affect the results of this hit. The chariot may instead choose to forego its movement in order to pivot to face any direction. So forego its movement. So it's giving up its movement, and that's that's going to come into play later on, and I'm not sure that it's designed to, but uh, basically on a magic power when we get to that. So you, instead of moving, instead of doing all that structure, you can then forego your movement, to pivot in any direction. So move up to 360 degrees. Obviously, if it's going to be less than 45, you would have just moved normally. My issue here is the first part says, at the start of the move phase. So it seems to imply that the chariot moves before other things, the start of the move phase. That one, we went and posted up a question on the Great British Hobbit League and basically got laughed down about that comment and got told that we were obsessing too much over the start of the move phase, that basically the implication was that it should say at the start of the chariot's move which is okay that might be what was intended to write but it's actually not what's written so there is some confusion there but the way we play it is the chariot moves like its own model and that at the start of the move phase doesn't actually mean at the start of the move phase it means at the start of the chariot's move turn or the time when it is to move the chariot sort of confusing already sorry about that the chariot in combat the platform on which the crew stands is sturdy enough for them to fight from. The chariot counts as one model in a fight. So that's important. One model in a fight. Any surviving crew member that is not driving the chariot adds their attack to the dual roll and also the one that didn't fire the crossbow. So you don't add your attack if you fire the crossbow. And the chariot has two attacks. Additionally, the chariot will also use the highest fight value of any dwarf on the chariot, including the driver. So you don't use the driver's attacks. You use the chariot's attacks, two, plus up to three dwarves manning it, which are normally just standard dwarves, and you can use the fight value of anyone on the chariot. If beaten, any model wishing to strike the crew must roll to see they hit the crew or chariot, only if you wish to strike the crew. To do this, roll a d6 for each strike. On a 4+, plus, the strike hits a crew member of the attacker's choice. Anything else hits the chariot. So you can reach out and touch the driver or one of the crew of your choice. doesn't matter. If the chariot loses, the fight does not back away. It also never counts as trapped. If the chariot is slain, then the crew inside are lost. Remove the models of the casualty. This is big. 
So if you lose the chariot, anyone riding it just dies straight away. I don't mind this in terms of not bothering with dismounts, but it's very different from all the other things that happen, like Mumak and Gorgoroth Beasts and any casual and chariots. Usually you have to have dismounts, so this is unusual there. don't know of any others. Maybe Warg uh, Marauders are the cavalry models that you remove the dismounts. Sorry, you remove the riders. I can't remember exactly. I have to check that up. So that's all okay. Large War Machine. On a turn in which the Iron Hills Chariot charges, it gains an extra attack and knock to the ground bonuses as if it were cav- as if it was cavalry. So it, it follows the rules for cavalry. It gets these bonuses even if it charges a cavalry model as an extended swell. And that's just I, we believe that's normal cavalry, not monstrous cavalry. So we don't get it for monstrous cavalry. You get the extra attack and that include if you're if you're a cavalry model, pretty good. When it's hit by a shooting attack, the shooter must make an in the way test to determine which you hit. On a five plus, you hit the closest crew member. On a 1, 2, 3, 4, you hit the chariot. Chariot cannot climb, jump, lie down, defend barriers. Can only go in water. It's difficult terrain. Can't go in anything else. So that can be a real pain if you play dense boards like we do. So I had to, at the event, just warn Josh that I was taking the chariot and say, be nice to me. I'm happy to play on whatever you tell me, but it's going to be a pretty boring game if you lock my chariot into being in its deployment zone the whole game. And it can't be, can't be barged, hurled, or knocked to the ground for any reason. Chariot and Magic... This is a mess. This one's terrible. Uh, the Chariot of Magic. The Iron Hills Chariot is immune to any magic powers that would prevent it from moving normally. So that's the full full stop. That's, that's the rule. It's immune to any magic powers that prevent it from moving normally. Then the next sentence contradicts it. These can be directed instead at the model driving the chariot, in which case the chariot will be affected instead. So it's immune from the magic powers, but if you direct it at the model driving the chariot, the chariot will be affected so it's not immune to it. Okay, gotcha. So they said the title of the Iron Hills Chariot is immune. It's it's not. It's 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 not immune to magic. Really weird. Weird way of writing this. I don't know why they've written it this way. I feel like they've changed their idea halfway through it. A sorceress blast can still inflict damage on the chariot or its crew, but cannot move them or knock them to the ground. So I'm just actually going to read through the FAQ parts that are, are to do with magic here as well, because there's a lot of extra FAQ, which is essentially a rata, not just FAQ. It's, it's strange. So, part, firstly, directed at the, the model driving it, do you have to be in range of the driver only? Uh, is the driver treated like a Mulmac driver? We're not entirely sure. We played it when I played it like it was, but I'm still not confident that that was the way we're supposed to do it because other times it counts as one model, but then for this one, is the driver like its own little part? You have to reach it if you want to, say, transfix it? Maybe. We'll see. We'll, see. well we won't see later now, but maybe we will later on. So, the first... Magic power FAQ is Can an Iron Hills chariot or any model riding it be affected by the call winds or paralyzed magic power? So this one in the in the rules it would be because you could target say call winds at at the driver, the chariot's immune to it, but then the chariot will be infected instead, so they'll be pushed back. But it says no. So that's not actually an FAQ, that's an errata. A paralyzed magic power, once again, I'm not sure. I understand that they're trying to stop it from moving, but basically, very clearly in the FAQ, can't be affected by those two powers. Then we have the next one. If a driver of an Iron Hills chariot is affected by the immobilized slash transfixed magic power, does that prevent the chariot from moving? And the next question, if the driver of an Iron Hills chariot is affected by the command slash compel magic power, so the one that freezes you and moves you, so you, you lower your fight value, you lower your attacks, 
And is it is it you don't contribute your attack? So I assume that the driver's attacks don't affect the chariot's attacks. Can the chariot be moved at half its move value? So this is one where, even though it says the chariot's immune to any magic power that prevent it from moving normally, these ones maybe can move it. The answer is yes to both questions. Now this is strange to me. So it basically means that that sentence that they said the chariot's immune to any magic powers that prevent it from moving normally is totally worthless. It should have actually just specified each power and what it does. Maybe they're future-proofing. I don't know if the magic powers are changing in the next edition and this will all become irrelevant, but it's all a bit strange. So have a good read of the FAQ when you're playing the chariot. Basically, as a summary, don't try and paralyze the chariot. Don't try and do call winds or nature's wrath on it. Uh, always, yeah, because nature's wrath knocks it down. It's immune to knock down, even though, yeah. Uh, the transfix you can do, and all it will do is lower the fight value of the driver and stop the chariot moving. Compel, you could compel the, the chariot to move. I don't believe you can forego its movement then, because it can move up to half. Now, that's a bit of an interesting one as well. I assume that's just the range for movement. So I, my guess is it goes the, the one 45-degree turn, four inches, which is half its movement value. Then it can do a full 45-degree turn, and then that's it. Uh, can definitely run over its own dwarves if you do that. So that's a bit strange. I don't... Yeah. I guess that's consistent with the, the Mulmak one. But that's that's a bit of a concern. Magic powers are very, very powerful. But that's that's what it is there. I just don't like the way that's written at all. I've harped on about that for a bit. It's it's great confusion and it's bound to get wrong. And the fact they have to put so much stuff in the FAQ tells it's not particularly well done. Then we move on. Iron Hills Captain. If the upgrade is taken from Iron Hills uh, from the chariot, sorry. If you upgrade to a captain, it does a few things. You have all your usual war gear and special rules, so I guess that's your defense. If you have your shield, you could use your shield defense, so you have a defense 8 driver, which is pretty good. You get your fight value, and it says in the FAQ later you can strike up with that and use the highest fight value. So you can strike up. You can't do a bunch of things. You can't call heroic combats with it, but you can you can do heroic moves. You can upgrade to the champion's Erebor. So you replace all the crew members with Barlin, Dwalin, Killy and Philly. Balan's a driver. I mean, someone else can take his place if he dies. If a chariot slay the dwarves, take a throne rider. So this time they can survive. So that's that's pretty good. If you're paying 500 points for a chariot, you want the crew to survive if the chariot dies, when it dies. The dwarves have their usual war gear and special rules whilst riding in the chariot. So you've got a whole bunch of extra rules going on there. Dwalin is firing the, the bolt thrower. So that's a real choice because Dwalin's one of your best fighters. So the choice between him firing a bolt thrower, which doesn't really get better, or fighting is is a good choice. No one else can ride it, so you can't load up. Magic powers, you choose which dwarves individually, and they resist individually with no impact on each other. So they don't share the magic powers, which is, once again, strange because it would be an impact on each other because it affects the chariot. Because you, yeah. yeah, it's immune, but it's not immune. In combat, the chariot's very unusual and the duel can effectively have multiple models on both sides of the fight. So you can roll for all four dwarves fighting if you want. Although Balan's not really fighting, he's driving, but you can contribute his two attacks of, that belong to the chariot and also his fight value. And you've got to, you've got to use different colored dice or whatever to make sure they're different. That's pretty normal. Uh, unfortunately, we play that a lot of the game where you have to divide up everything, count up your dice, use different colors because they all have slightly different rules. Killy and Philly, if they faint, the whole chariot goes down by D3 fight, but piercing strike only affects Dwalin. So that's that's interesting. 
because the faint special rules actually not amazing so it's strange that that's the one that they choose to to modify but anyway uh you get th- this version of the chariot counts as four models for the purpose of working out breakpoints this is a con- confusing one because i have been playing on the assumption the other one does as well because it's four crew members but it doesn't tell you what type of model it is it's just a dwarf so it's an infantry it's not i don't know is it one model the the Golgoth Beast says it counts as one model. This one doesn't have the rule. It doesn't actually specify. I thought I was playing it safe by counting it as four. The models are wounds. They are models. They can be replaced as models. So it makes sense that you count it as four, but maybe you only count it as one. And then the Champions one you count as four. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I don't know why that rule. I feel like that rule should be in the main one. It's a little bit unclear there. But I guess the fact that it's a dot point in the designer's, designer's note for the Champions of Erebor Maybe the other one only counts as one, but it doesn't say it. It doesn't say, it doesn't say it counts as one. Doesn't say it counts as four. Is it like a war machine where the crew count? I don't know. I don't know. The chariot counts as a hero for the Erebor reclaimed army list and can be the leader, and that basically means Barlinger leader because he's the driver. But it cannot lead a warband. Okay, fair enough. The other one can lead a warband. This one can't. So that's interesting. I took advantage of that. So that's all the main rules. Now we go to the additional ones, the FAQ. I've already shown you some of them, but I'll go to some of the others as well. Because I'm just that nice. So here we go. We add initiative rules. So we've got a, a proper errata, which is okay. This is an errata. An Iron Hills chariot and all models riding it automatically pass any and all courage tests they are required to take. So they're not actually fearless, because it doesn't say fearless, but it has the same effect as that, which is really handy for things like specters, so they can't move your chariot. It's really handy for, for courage tests for standfast. So if you've got a, a hero on it, you can get them to flick a stand fast by automatically passing their courage test. That's very handy. Although they can't. Yeah. I don't know if they have to take it because they're on it. But anyway, they, they will make the count as passing it. I assume that if you get to move the model, you get to take a courage test and pass it. Maybe I'm wrong. Do Killian and Philly count as being in base contact while they're mounted on the chariot? No. Okay, that's fine. That's fine to be an FAQ because it's a pretty corner case scenario. And I don't know really why you want to swap them unless one's a driver, I guess. Can you run over friendly models in order to intentionally kill them? Yes. Although there's a whole story about how you have to go and tell Mrs. Dwarf why and they won't be returning home, which is fine. That does happen. It says you should only do them done for the good, greater good of the Dwarf race, not to try and intentionally break yourself to get the game to end. And it says if you wish to play that, pick up Mordor. That's interesting because that's... That, yeah, that's very specific, and I'm not sure if that's actually true or not. But you can't just go kill your own models to end the game. Fair enough. But if you've got a good target, you can go for it. And I've had a, had examples of that as well. So that's that's a lot, a lot of relying on the, the goodwill of the people playing, I guess. Can anyone dismount? No. You can't leave the chariot. If you're on, you're on. That's okay. That's fair. If the champions are on the chariot, can any of the dwarves call a heroic move or only the driver? Anyone can call a heroic move, which is pretty good. Can anyone call a heroic combat on a chariot? No. Okay, fine. Can the driver of an Iron Hills chariot declare a heroic strike? And yes, he can. But he cannot use the might to alter dual rolls, which it said before. So you basically just increase the fight value of the chariot because it counts as one model in combat. Can an Iron Hill ballista crew member replace a slain member of the chariot's crew? No. No, that's interesting so the other ones can the warriors can but the ballista crew have some maybe they have some dislike of chariots only like ballistas so they don't want to go in i'm not sure why that is 
Oh, no, it's probably down to the rule where you're not allowed to leave the siege engines. I think the crew member have to stay within six inches or so of the siege engine. Maybe it's even less. So it's probably probably something to do with that rule and trying to get around that because then maybe the chariot has to stay within that. So, okay, I can see that for confusion rather than theme as much as anything. Uh, if a banner model jump, jumps onto the chariot, basically the FAQ says the banner's gone, which, once again, I can see why they don't want a banner on a chariot. I would have liked that option, actually. I think that would be a good option. But you can't do that. You can't just drag a banner onto it. And then, this is a weird one. You measure the range line of sight and field of fire from the rapid fire bolt throw itself rather than the base of the model. So this is one of those weird abstract models where they're trying to go for realism over anything else and they're doing things that are different from stuff in the rest of the game. So you measure from the actual bolt thrower, which is different, but it's not that bad. It's pretty easy to do. It's just strange and it's different from other things. And we've done the magic power ones. So that leaves those quite a few quite a few rules. We'll move on from rules now because I've gone through enough. Some things I might get wrong. Some of it I feel like the um I'm sure the designers would have wouldn't mind redoing the rules um if they had a chance. Maybe they won't have a chance, but hopefully hopefully get a clearer version of them. I wouldn't mind if the chariots rules became in the main rule book and they just superseded this one. Because I feel like some of it could do with a bit of a rewrite. I uh, like they did the Mumak a couple of times and that came out. We got about three or four different rules first before they finally settled on one. Chariot might be another one of those models. Let's talk about the actual physical model first, I think. So the Chariot's only available from Forge World. It's one of the more expensive models in the range at £100. And that, who knows, that could change in the future as well. So it's a big investment. It's also a big model. It's on uh, one of the massive bases. Uh, I think it's even... It might be, it might be the same size as Radagast base. Um, I think it's uh, from other game systems as well. Big oval base. And it only just fits on it, actually. The goats hang over the front of it, and the wheels hang over the back of it, or very close to it. So it's a really big model. I guess you have to be to have a little chariot at the back. It's got so many pieces. It's got, I, I think I counted them up what I was doing. Is it over 100 or maybe just close to 100? I'm not going to count them again. It's a ridiculous assembler. Now, I know that a lot of people, when they've painted it, have gone and made it separately so they put all the goats separately and all the crew separately i don't actually do this that much i try to avoid it whenever possible because i find that joining after i've made a model is a bit of bit of a pain and all the fitting that goes into it and all the planning and there's a lot of little spindly things connecting the goats so i actually put together everything except for the crew my crew we get two crew options the uh, hero or the driver the normal driver and i magnetize those in with a little tiny magnet in their foot and one in the the driver's uh stand and the rest I put together because I wanted to make sure my rams were attached really well to my base and everything was done. And it wasn't that hard to paint. I could get the paintbrush around them pretty easily. So that's... I, I tend to do that. I know some people would like to have everything in a thousand parts and I can see why as well. I just... There's so many yokes and things that it was a bit hard to, to assemble. It was a challenge to assemble. I can tell you that. So I'm glad I've got them done. I'm glad I mainly... Maybe only have to do one more when the champions come out. If the champions come out. But... Uh, it was it was worth it. It was worth doing. It took me a while to get done, but I finally got it done. Now, the goat horns are a nightmare. Those goat horns, like, they're in three pieces. So, you've got the, the middle piece, which is the two stumps of the horn, and then the curly part at the end, the tips, and they really are hard to join. They're very small, so it's really hard to pin them, and they are in a place where they get caught on everything and fall off. So, they're a bit of a nightmare to assemble. So, be prepared for that one. Still worth getting the model. Make sure you wash it well and all that sort of stuff that you normally do for forge your models. A great model. Lo- looks really good. 
was a challenge to paint, was a challenge to put together, but definitely worth it. Now, I've played through two of the scenarios with the chariot. There's one more in the book as well that uh, with the champions one. I haven't played through that one. The two uh, double chariot ones, you have to buy two chariots for it. I'm not going to talk extensively about them now because I want to do a separate episode on them. I actually... I want to, to rebalance them. They no, they don't suit our playstyle. Maybe they suit other people's playstyle, or maybe they're not particularly written well. I'm not sure either way. But basically, we found it incredibly tough for the chariots to to win those scenarios, and they didn't show them off very well. And I was actually convinced the chariots weren't very good models after it. Now, since then, I know some some other tactics, and they are they are pretty good models, and they have the potential to win a game absolutely. But those scenarios definitely don't show them off. They're really tough to do. So I'm going to go through generic get like points match game tactics, I think, and I save the scenario tactics for later on. And I do want to play through them a few more times now because after my learning experience at the event, perhaps I know a bit more now. Maybe I don't. So our tactics, this is what you're all here for. Let's go through some tactics. First of all, tactics with the chariot. And I'm going to probably mix in tactics against it as well. It just makes sense to talk about what you can do and what you're trying to avoid. Firstly, as a dwarf player, you want to avoid monsters. Stay away from monsters with the chariot. The reason is you're unlikely to knock them out with just a single hit. So if you impact hits of three strength, six hits, even if you're going against like a lowly cave troll, you still need four pluses to wound. Now the chances of getting all four pluses are pretty low. It's one in eight chance. So you're not looking at a good chance of getting that off off the straight one. It will happen sometimes. But it's not a good chance. And once you're in combat with the troll, it will beat you. If you have a captain in your chariot, you can strike up and then have a good chance of, of killing it, which is okay. But if it's a hero troll, a birder, or someone else, or you botch your roll, you're in a bit of trouble because the monsters can rend. Now, I wonder if this is an oversight. It's, it specifically says you can't barge it, you can't hurl the troll, but you are not immune to rend, which is... Like, I understand from a story point of view, but it is incredibly easy to damage a chariot with rend. It's only strength four. Most monsters are strength six or more. So you're looking at three pluses to wound on your three attacks. Not enough to kill it in one go, but easily enough to kill it in two goes. Two monsters will pretty much guarantee rip through a chariot. So watch out for monsters. Don't get involved in monsters if you can't. If you absolutely must get involved in monsters... Get your rapid-fire bolt thrower, point it directly at the monster, take a couple wounds off, and then hopefully you can run it over before it gets to attack back. If that works, it works really well. If it doesn't work, it's not so good. So avoid monsters. Uh, obviously, playing the, against the chariot, put monsters against it. That's an easy way of doing it. You need to make sure, as a chariot player, you don't get a lot of models in combat with it. The move phase is great. You want to knock over as many models as you can with the movement phase. Ideally, you want to target defense four or defense six models or defense five or defense three, whatever. Over defense six becomes a little bit difficult. It's not your ideal target. One wound models are great because you can go over them. Cavalry models are amazing because you, you're going to hurt them no matter what. Light cavalry heroes are okay. But you want to be really careful about that. So if you overextend the chariot, they get lots of models in. Your fight value is not amazing. It's okay, but it's not amazing. And if they get a hero in and they can strike up, suddenly you're going against that potential of your captain. And if you lose, you're going to lose your chariot because most people can do a lot of wounds. They're all faint or they're all pierce or they're all rend or something else. And they'll do enough wounds. Even though it's defense eight, they'll get through the defense. So you've got to peel them off. So I like to use things like goat riders and a wall of dwarves to just protect my flanks as much as I can and make it so the chariot's only fighting two or three models. 
that can be difficult if you get a really good ram off um, or the, the impact hits off. So sometimes you have to cop it, but have some goat riders ready just to peel off heroes and make sure they fight the goat riders and even you have to sacrifice them. You don't want to be struck against. It's not particularly fun. So the way you do that is you move your chariot up, you get into the bolt thrower range, and then you reset your lines around it. So I my tactics of the chariots often move it into position, even if it moves faster than the rest of my army, try and draw the enemy towards it, which is going to happen because I, ha- I have to get a ram off with it. Otherwise, it doesn't. it's not going to get its points worth. And then the rest of my army goes and sets up a defensive formation or a bait formation to try and get the enemy where I want it. I try and bait away any trolls or monsters with goats and other dwarves and things, get them chasing away. So in that point, if there's a monster heavy list, I probably won't, won't get the chariot ready to go early on. I'll just use it as an artillery piece essentially for a while, set up the line, hopefully try and get rid of the monster and then have a go at it. So that, that's a challenge in itself. If someone runs the monster directly at me, I might be in trouble, but then I can also get shots off it and knock it out. So it's a, a 50-50. Captains on goats or captains on foot can go and deal with the monsters. Uh, strike up a shield or just tr- go for an attack with a spear support are uh, pretty useful. And once you start damaging the monster, then you can feel like going for a ram. It also helps you out in that you, you don't have a lot of might. You, your Iron Hill's captains can, on a 5+, plus replicate the heroic moves, but you're probably going to be outmighted by the opponent. And that makes it hard because you're going to have to wait for your turn to get the charge off. If you just go in there and hope for the 50-50, you might get it, but half the time you won't. So you have to be prepared for to hold off for two or three turns and each turn be threatening to get your big ram move off. So you're, you're setting up, hopefully, to get a ram. Like I keep calling it a ram. It's not an official term for it. But you want to get that one big thing where you can take out a whole warband. And when, once you do that, it's amazing. Your game's pretty much yours. If you can knock out a hero or even two during it, it's really good. If you can just take a hero down to one wound, you're fine because then your chariot can finish it off or your goat riders can finish it off or, or whatever. So it's important that you set up for that. It's important you be patient. And it's important that you set up so that you can weather a turn of bad things happening. And they will happen. So if a monster is going into you, make sure it's only one monster. If... You're going to go for the, the heroic move where you both throw might at it. Make sure that they don't have an endless amount of might so they can keep doing it. Make sure you, sometimes you're using your 5-plus your roll. Make sure that you're setting up so if they do get the charge on you, they can't kill your chariot in that one go. So make sure you can set them up and use your, use your other dwarves to protect the chariot. It becomes a real game of protect the chariot. What this means is your army is really slow. You can run the chariot forward, but then it's it's really nail-biting time and trying to trying to support it can be very difficult. So be very careful of that. Make sure your dwarves keep up. Don't be afraid to march if you have to keep your dwarves nearby. Marching with the chariot's actually really good. It gives it lots of extra movement, five extra inches. But that's, that's worth doing. That's why I like the goats. I think they're, they're really good in that you can keep up with the chariot and protect its flanks because once, it once it gets lots of models engaged in it, it just defeats them. Watch out for Defense 7 models. Chariot does not like to bump over Defense 7 or Plus models. It tends to fail and stop at them. And that will happen. Sometimes you just stop. Even though it looks like the odds are pretty good in your favor. So if they're Defense 6, you've got basically a 1 in 8 chance of stopping. If they're Defense 4, you've got like a... Some, uh, you've got a 1 in 27 chance of stopping. So pretty good odds of, of going forward. But it will stop. I've had games where I've stopped twice in a row against a lowly Orc. And... That was my first attack. And, and you can still come and win those games, but you have to be prepared for that to happen. It does happen. If, you, if you're only hoping on getting the one charge off, you'll be, you'll be sad. It won't always happen.
Keep in mind, if you're playing against a chariot, your opponent, if they're canny, are going to try and group you together so they can get a real run, and they're going to try and get rid of anything that's going to stop the chariot. So just be aware of that. Don't be afraid to throw a, a tough captain. If you've got like a Gundabad captain or something like that, throw it forward and let the chariot hit it, because it probably won't kill it, and even if it does, it's just a captain, and then everyone else can run in and fix it up. So... Just be be aware that, like the Mulmax, sometimes the models are strong enough that you can just stand in front of it and stop it, and that's worth doing. Definitely worth doing. If you get monsters or anything big with the chariot nearby, use your bolt throw even in combat to shoot out those monsters. Take those wounds off them, because eventually you want to be able to push forward and take some wounds off. So really important to take that. I had one game where I played against um, Mick from Adelaide at the event. And look, we probably got some of the magic wrong on this one because we got confused about what was going on. And I think I let him have a go at a paralyze against me at one point. And um, maybe I said that I was immune to Capel at some point. I, I can't remember exactly. I don't think it would have mattered because Nick decided to roll ones for pretty much every single magic power he did, which is um, amusing for me, but not so much for him. I had, I had, was being thoroughly beaten because there was a shade. Most of the combats, ex- with the exception of a couple of goats, were within the shade's bubble, which is incredibly powerful, as you all know. And the only way I could get any kills would be if my chariot could get the move off, but it couldn't get the move off because I was getting matched with the movement. I wasn't getting priority. So I just had to grind it out with the dwarves. Lots of shielding, lots of holding up a wall on the flank. And then when I finally got priority, I moved the dwarves back. I went went forward to the chariot, got this really great lineup, and I thought, I'm going to ram over about, I don't know, 10 models, and I'll push the game back in my favor. I'll break the orcs, and then, then the shade might disappear. First orc, rolled the whatever it was, a one and a couple twos, failed to kill it. Did that twice. Two turns in a row, I failed to kill it, and it was just frustrating. And, it, and I kept at the game, but I thought, this is just not my game. Nothing's going right. But then, in the combat, I decided that there was a shade right near me, I had a clear shot of it. I've been peppering shots of the Witch King and got it down to one wound, no fate, but I couldn't couldn't finish it off and then it decided to hide. So I thought, right, I'm going to go at the shade and I'm going to take some wounds off it. And I'm, my last gasp effort, my last chance is to go and take some wounds off the shade and then ram it dead because I can't win any fights and I'm running out of dwarves and I've really got to break this Orc Angmar army because this is a tough army. So rev up the bolt thrower, get some bolts in there, shoot the shade, hit with five hits, uh, I think, or I got five shots or whatever. doesn't really matter. The end result was two wounds on the shade and my eyes just lit up because I thought, I'm doing it. I'm doing it. This is going to happen. If I get priority, I'm going to turn this game around and I'm going to win it. So, of course, I did. I got priority, which doesn't happen very often. But it happened then and I turned the chariot, moved the dwarves out of the way. I think I had one dwarf I might have had to run over or something like that, but too bad. That's, that's going to happen. And then managed to run down a shade, a witch king, and about 10 models in that turn, to go from an unbroken Agmar force to a quartered Agmar force with the chariots move, and I ended up winning that game, which is fantastic. So, it, it can be just, as long as you have a chariot, you've got a chance. So, if you're going against a chariot, no, as long as they've got a chariot, they've got a chance. Be very careful for it. Split your heroes up. Don't let them go after your two big heroes in one charge, and I think that was the mistake Nick made, is that he had a line where I could hit the Witch King and the Shade at the same time. If I had to choose between two, I probably would have had to go for the Shade because that was the one that was hurting me more. And then it means the Witch King's still there to do other things. So don't be afraid to, to split up your heroes and make sure there's not an easy path. Initially, I thought that the, the Chariot wouldn't like some terrain, but it really does because terrain anchors it so well and it is able to move away. So what I tend to do is I move it up to a part where it's almost like a, a what do we call it? Not quite a T intersection. I guess it is because I'm driving up to it and then I've got two directions I can go. 
And my hope is that the enemy can come one or the other. And I intimidate them. I scare them. So I know that they're going to come one way and then I'll bump over them one way and I'll go away from the big heroes and then I'll use my dwarves to shield the other way. So I set up in that fashion and then just use a crossbow to bait them forward. And if I have any other crossbowmen, they can do it as well. I managed to do that against uh, Thomas's Hunter Orcs where Bolg was coming around one side. So my chariot decided to scoot around the other side and ran over a whole warband um, because Thomas didn't challenge my heroic move. He really should have. He should have challenged my heroic move because I was able to get over about eight or nine Hunter Orcs and rip up the flank. And then that was enough to, to set that game up for me. If you are against the chariot, try to bait it away from things because it takes a long time to turn it around. It's almost like a train. Like imagine a track where it can go, where the train's letting you go. Once it goes one way, it's on a single track. It has to turn right around, go to the end, and then come back. So be aware of that, that once you get behind the, the chariot, it can't really do much to you at all. So as a dwarf player, stop that. As an enemy, just get behind the chariot. How hard is that to do? It's actually quite hard to do, but that's what you need to do. I had a game against Harrod, against Adams Harrod, where I had to reconnoiter, and my chariot was going up the middle with a bit of a wedge in my army, and I had some loose goats and defenders trying to stop the other person, the other, so the other Corsairs from getting off. And what my chariot did, came forward, had a good run, knocked over a few guys, knocked over a bosun, and I was pretty happy there. But then Delamere and a Taskmaster almost got through my line, so I had to bring the chariot on a big U-turn and chase them down. And I did get them, but that put my chariot out of action. So the chariot didn't do anything else for the rest of the game. Slowly turned around, and by then the game was over. But I was lucky enough that I managed to run over a bosun, a taskmaster, and a Delamere. So that that won me the game straight out. So the chariot won me the game. But be aware that that if I didn't do that, if I didn't catch Delamere, I wouldn't have ever caught him. He would have just ducked around my side, and I wouldn't be able to get him. So as a dwarf player, be aware of that. You, you make your move and you choose when to do it and it's got to be a big grand move and it's got to be high value. If it's not high value and someone baits you off with a cavalry model or something, you're in a lot of trouble. Don't take the bait. Be really conservative with it. It's a strange way of playing. I really liked it. I won all six of my games at the event and I'll talk about that more specifically talk about Silmarilli because the winning wasn't necessarily the, the most important part. And I enjoyed playing the Dwarf Army, but I don't know if I'll play the Chariots all the time. So we've got a Master Tournament coming up very soon, and I'm pretty sure I'm not taking the Chariots. I'm, I'm very much considering the Dwarves, because it's an excuse to get more Dwarves done. It's an excuse to get 800 points worth done. I want to get some more Goats done, because they're really expensive models, and I want to paint them up. But the Chariot slows down my army a lot. So I don't necessarily want to, to take that in the highly competitive, highly strategic masters game where you have to have a lot of movement and choices in friendlies absolutely will i take it to another tournament probably it was really good fun will i double up the chariot maybe will i put a, a captain on the chariot again uh, possibly i don't i'm not convinced of its value because there's no heroic combats so you can't benefit from that you, you char, your hero can end up being in the wrong spot because he's it's everything in one basket it can help you with the strikes but other than that it's not a huge value to have it in the chariot. So I think next time I play the chariot, I'm going to try the hero on a goat next to him. Whether it's a, uh, just a champion Erebor allied in or whether it's a goat hero, I'm not sure. But that's, I think, a better way of playing it. So there we go. There we go. Bit of tactics, bit of thoughts on it. Very general overarching one. Obviously, you're trying to kill as many guys with the, the big rundown move. You've got your crossbows to try and bait people forward to kill off heroes to do all kinds of fun things but 
if you if you get that big run over, you will win the game. If you don't, you probably won't, although you can. Um, I've won a game where I lost my chariot to three trolls, but that's that you've got to play the scenario very carefully because if you lose whatever it is, 175 or 265, 270 points, whatever it is, you're in a bit of trouble. Now, that's probably enough for our No Thine Iron Hills Chariots for the moment. Hope you enjoyed this episode. It's good to be back. Um, hopefully, it'll get get loaded up very soon, and we'll get onto some more meaty episodes as we go. I know this has been a heavily requested episode, and I hadn't feel confident talking about it because I hadn't played the chariot in enough stressful situations. Now, I know a little bit about it. I will know more next time I play it, and I might redo this episode at some point. I would not be surprised if we got some new rules for the chariot or clarified rules for the chariot because it is... A little bit confusing as we go, but bear with it. It's a fun one. Um, make sure you discuss with your tournament organizer if you bring your chariot along to your tournament, how you're going to rule things, because that's pretty important. We need to need to have a bit of a discussion there so all the players know how it's going to play. Uh, you don't want some nasty surprises or arguments during the game, so talk to your organizer beforehand. Just ask them what happens for the movement phase. Is this how you would rule it? Because this is how we play it. It's not quite what's written, how the magic is with the FAQ, uh, all the other stuff, make sure that you ask, do you have to measure to the, the driver in terms of heroic moves and magic powers, or is it just the chariot as a whole model like it is in combat? Yeah, but definitely definitely talk to people, and if you don't have an organizer, talk to your opponent. I, I'm sure you can work it out between yourself. This is, you're pretty good. You're, you're playing middle-earth strategy battle game. You're definitely nice to each other. So that's all from me for now. Thank you for listening, and remember, traps win games. Thank you for listening to the Green Dragon Podcast. Please be advised that the Green Dragon Podcast is not suitable for children, the elderly, pregnant women, those with a history of heart conditions, or anyone expecting to receive worthwhile advice. You can contact us on thegreendragonpodcasts at gmail.com. Yes, it has an S at the end. Or our Facebook page, The Green Dragon Podcast. We do not claim ownership of any works based on J.R.R. Tolkien, New Line Cinema, Warner Brothers, or Games Workshop. This podcast is purely for entertainment. The thoughts, as rare as they are, are solely that of our hosts and guests. Farewell, listener, until we meet again.